Cultivating Christian Character in Children. That's the title of the series I did. Because as a mother, I wanted my children to become Christ-like. Just like every parent wants their children to learn how to be like Jesus. Isn't that our desire? Isn't that our, our, what we long for? And isn't that what needs to happen to prepare our young ones for the heavenly kingdom? No one will be in the kingdom except they have the character of Jesus Christ. And it's he that will put it in us as we cooperate with him in his spirit, working in us and through us, cultivating Christian character. We're going to be talking about four character qualities this morning. And I appreciated what Kent and Dolores shared because for me as a parent, I studied these on my own. And then week by week, we would take a different character quality and we would learn how to experience that in our home with everyone giving input. And it became something not just for our children to learn, but as important for us as adults and as parents in our home to learn. If we want our child to be respectful, we need to learn how to be respectful ourselves. And so we did this through the weeks and months. And then as our children grew older, and what stimulated this entire series to be put together was when my children were all in their youth, I still knew that there were areas of weakness in their character, and God was calling to my heart. And so my children and I studied together again these qualities. And we went through the Bible, and we found... uh, references that had to deal with those particular qualities. So today we're just going to talk about four, and I would encourage you, if you have paper and pencil, to take notes, because we're going to be giving some practical ideas on how we begin to cultivate the, the garden of the heart in our young people. So if they're young or if they're older and youth, we all need that cultivation. Even we as adults need to be cultivated. So if any of you uh, need a sheet of paper, I have a few pieces of notebook paper I did bring along. Josiah, if you want to just put your hand up, and as, we, as I begin, Josiah will come by. I don't have a lot left, but you can, um, he'd be happy to share that with you. Today we want to start with cultivating self-respect. Now, self-respect and self-dignity is not self-esteem. And I think it's very important for us as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, to recognize that self-esteem, which we're all very familiar with, is not a, a part of the kingdom of God. That may come as a shock to some of you here today, because you can go into any Christian bookstore anywhere in the world, and you can find out how self-esteem and the Christian go hand in hand. And what does the Word of God say? We're going to be sharing a very powerful principle from the Word of God. We want to talk about God's principle and the true characteristic that God wants us to to cultivate in our children and in our hearts as parents, as adults, is that of self-dignity and self-respect, not self-esteem. I'll define self-esteem by typical comments. I'm better. That's self-esteem. I'm faster. My way, I'm prettier than she is. 
Those are all comments of self-esteem. And what do they do? They build up the self-nature, don't they? And almost always, they're putting someone else down in order to put self up. It's, it's a, uh, they go hand in hand, and it's quite a contrast. When I lift myself up, almost always, human nature then does that by putting someone else down. And it comes natural to all of us. And that is not a part of the kingdom of God. It is a counterfeit to what is true and holy. The apostle Paul says it like this. And of course, he's inspired by God's spirit to put into these words a representation of the character of God. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Notice the two words, strife and vainglory. Self-esteem is vainglory. And it causes strife because you're putting someone down in order to build yourself up. He said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Self-esteem is a counterfeit, a very close counterfeit to the true principle of God's word. He says, let us esteem others better than ourselves. And let's not let anything be done through vainglory or through strife. So let's talk then about self-dignity and self-respect. Because I believe this is the true aspect that God wants to cultivate in all our hearts. And man has come up with a very close counterfeit that Christians by the thousands and hundreds of thousands worldwide have accepted that is a counterfeit to what is real. Self-dignity and self-respect. Let's define those. It is a conscious recognition that we are the children of God, that we were created in His image, and that we not only were created in His image, but through our choices lost what God had intended for us to have, he came back to redeem us. In and of ourselves, we have no value. But in Christ, we are new creatures. In Christ, we can have new life, fulfillment, and we can experience true dignity and respect, self-dignity and respect, recognizing that we are children of God, created and redeemed. By him. So I would like to share a few ways that we begin to build self-dignity and respect in our young people. How do we cultivate this character quality in our young people? One of the things that's the strongest to build it is wholesome, useful occupation. In contrast, what destroys self-dignity and respect is that a child has all the free time they, they want. They can do anything they want, whenever they want, and they don't feel good about themselves. And that's why you find children getting into conflicts with one another. They haven't found the fulfillment of being useful, needed, and wanted. They haven't learned how to serve and therefore, when self-nature takes over, that self-esteem, which is the opposite of self-dignity and respect, 
the child begins to become more and more difficult, more and more self-centered, more and more selfish, more and more irritable, and self-esteem grows and self-dignity and respect gets lower and lower and lower. Useful occupation. In our home, when our children were very young, I didn't understand this, and I let them have lots of playtime because that's what I read and was told that good mothers did. But I found that I had a lot of contention, even amongst toddlers. The, the irritability and the fussiness and the discontent and the arguing and even fighting, maybe not aggressively at that age, but as they get older, if that has been allowed, as they get older, it becomes more aggressive and more violent. Proper occupation. God put it in my heart. Give your children something to do. Make them feel useful, wanted. And so I started inviting my children to help me in the kitchen. I remember we first moved to Montana. We were living in a 35-foot travel trailer. And you know, if you've ever been in a travel trailer, everything is mini size, isn't it? And we had these tiny little sinks there in the little kitchen, which was probably about four feet long, the counter with these two little sinks in it. And here was Emily, three years old, and she's standing up at the sink to help do the dishes. And I was shocked. I was amazed. I didn't think a three-year-old had the ability to know how to do a dish. And she was so happy. She was so content. She was so enjoying herself. Useful occupation. She felt she had contributed. She was a happy child. She was more obedient, more willing, more cheerful because she had found just in that one situation a new experience of self-dignity and respect. The second way we can build self-esteem in our children is teaching the child to help themselves. And when you're, as your children are young and you take a lot of time, remember when you're first teaching them to tie their shoe? And when they learn how to do it, they are so excited. They can hardly wait for daddy to come home because they want to show daddy what they've learned how to do, right? Self-dignity and respect. Helping our child to gain Uh, the ability to help themselves. And we see it in many lines, and we think that's wonderful, and it is good training, but it has to incorporate everything in the child's life. And so, for me, tackling homeschooling, trying to learn how to be a teacher when I was a nurse by training, and I began to see things in my children. They come, Mommy, Mommy, help me with this. Mother, Mother, how do I do that? Mother, Mother. And the Lord gave me this thought. Because I remembered how I used to be as a student in school. If it was hard, you just simply asked somebody what the answer was or how to do it, and usually got it, and you never had to really learn how to, what? Think very much. And so it works pretty good, but as you get older and older and older and your schooling gets harder and harder and harder, pretty soon you're going to find out that what was cultivated here to be helpful actually cultivated a strong weakness in the child. And so I said to my children, I'm happy to help you with anything and everything in your school lesson. But when you have a question, the first thing, if they brought it to me, Mother, can you help me on this math problem? The very first thing I'd ask them is, how many times have they tried to figure it out on their own? If they had a question on the directions and they didn't know how to do something, I would say, how many times have you read the directions? 
And my children learned very quickly that before they ever came for help, they read the directions two times, and they worked to apply themselves to the, their best of their ability. And do you know, I found out that most of the time, my children were able to answer their own questions. Mother, this reading question, I don't understand. It says, and then they give me the question out of the workbook, and I said, what did your reader say? Well, they read the whole chapter in the reader, and now, 10, 15 minutes later, they're working in the workbook. I will not help you with that until you go back and read it. And then you find the answer. And then I help. Or I may say, well, what's the question really asking? Do they understand the question? So I may ask questions about the question to help their minds to think and to enter in and to apply themselves. And I found that my children started to enjoy school more and more and more. And they became more independent. And as we got to the more difficult years of high school training, and I was very intimidated by what some of the things they had to learn, I didn't have to be the teacher. I was simply a facilitator. My children learned things I never knew. They figured out how to do things I never knew. But it's because of the early training, if we help our children to recognize that they can help themselves. That builds dignity and respect in our young people. The third way is to when our children encounter obstacles that are difficult, that they face them with bravery. Now, this can apply in the school lesson as well as any other thing. When Josiah was a little boy and he wanted to learn to ride the bike, he saw sisters, and it went for all three of them, first Alice and then Emily and then Josiah. We all had to help them learn how to ride the bike. But, you know, it didn't come as easy. I mean, it's not just that you get on and you ride. It's that you, what are we doing, mother and fathers? We're standing there with the bicycle, holding the seat, aren't we? Walking with them, and then maybe running with them. And when we first let our hand go, because we're really knowing that we're not doing anything, the child, what happens? As soon as they realize the hand's off, the steering wheel starts going like this, and they just about crash, and you grab the seat real quick, because they're thinking that they're balancing because we're holding the seat when maybe we're really not holding it very much. And so we encourage them to encounter difficult obstacles and meet them bravely. So when Josiah was learning to ride a bicycle, he said, I can't. This is hard. Or, or don't let go, mother. You can do it, son. We're going to be right here. And my husband and I ran up and down the road beside each one of our children, helping them learn to ride a bike. Just running alongside of them. And pretty soon they went a little faster and a little faster. And so did we have to run a little faster and faster. And then pretty soon we said, well, we can't keep up with you and you're on your own. But they learned how to do it. When it was difficult, they encountered it. They met it bravely with encouragement and they mastered it. So now Josiah helps his mother with the bicycle. He's much more proficient than I am. He loves to mountain bike. That's his favorite thing to do. And he likes us to go to Moab, Utah, where the trails are very challenging. And he's there, Mother, you can do it. And he'll ride back with me, and he'll tell me how to do the gearing, and he'll tell me how to sit back or sit forward on the seat so I don't fall off the bicycle. And so then our children return their favors to us. And then we as adults face difficult things. And we overcome them the way we helped our children to. My children helped me to face weaknesses in my character and weaknesses in my abilities the same way I helped them. 
And so it's a growing experience together. Treating our children with respect will help them gain self-dignity and respect. If you talk respectful to your children, they feel a valuable, loved person, and they will respond in accordance with how they're treated. So if we want our children to learn how to, how to have self-dignity and respect, we treat them with dignity and respect. And the fifth way is that we show them that we trust them, that we have confidence in them. That will build their self-dignity and respect. When I had trained my children in all the household duties and the Lord gave me a physical challenge that put me on bed rest for a week to ten days, I almost panicked in my mind to think, what's going to happen? I can't be there to help my children do this, 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 and this. And Tom says, don't worry about it. They can handle it. They know how to do all the household things, but I'd always been so much involved with them, I really wasn't sure that they could do it without my help, without being there to step them through things or to be there to, to encourage them. And what did I see in that situation? My husband trusted they had the abilities and could do it, and he encouraged me. And as I trusted, I saw all three of my young people take the full responsibility of our home. And the meals were prepared. Every, all the chores were done on time. They applied themselves in school. And I laid in my bed of affliction, amazed at what God can do. If we put our trust in Him first, and then we trust our children. If they know we're counting on them, and that we can trust them, even if our presence isn't there, it encourages them to a higher uh, responsibility. And that helps to build, truly build self-dignity and respect. Now those are just some simple ways. And as you go home and you begin to cultivate self-dignity and respect in your home, in your life, and in the lives of your young people, God will give you ideas and you ways that will help to cultivate that character quality in your home, specifically for your needs. The second area I want to talk about a little bit is the area of purity is that a godly quality purity absolutely the bible is full of examples of this character trait the quality of christ in purity of thought purity of actions purity of motives One of the greatest character traits that is neglected in Christianity is mental and moral purity. It is so neglected and we become so influenced by what is accepted and normal in society that the Christian standards of morality are almost no different than the world. God wants us to cultivate virtue and purity in our young people. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what does that say if we're not pure in heart? Will we see God? I mean, God likes to say things in the positive to motivate us, but they have a corresponding message in the reverse, don't they? That is very important for us to understand. 
Pure in heart means we're pure in our thoughts and we're pure in our practices. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That means no sensual thoughts, no sensual actions, self-abuse, or any other habits or practices. We must recognize that our children, like ourselves, have a fallen human nature. And God wants to change that human nature and infuse his divine natures that we can be partakers of that nature, the divine nature, that we can be like him in purity of heart, motive, and mind, and actions. Vice is prevalent everywhere we go. And we must cut off every avenue to immorality and impurity that the devil is using as vehicles of access to our young people. And it is a character quality that we must cultivate in our children. And if we don't, our children will naturally follow human nature's path and they will become what they behold in the world of immorality and impure. So how can we as parents cultivate purity and virtue in our young people? We must be an example to them first. In our thoughts, anything that the Lord has helped me to recognize my children need, He's addressed in my own life. Anything we ask our children to do or to learn, we have we have the call to our heart to experience that for ourselves. People have often said to me, how do I get my child to surrender? And I said, you know, the best way, the most efficient way, the most successful way is as I learn to surrender my heart to the will of God. And through that experience, I then know how to work with their heart so that they can find that that joy and surrender also. So our example as parents, exhibiting in the home, in our dress, in our words, in our deportment, a pure character. That is primary to establish that strong foundation. Next, the second one is to guard every avenue of impurity that the devil would have come in to the hearts of our children. One of the areas we had to address is the association our young people had. In less than five minutes, in less than five minutes of improper association, the destiny of hundreds of thousands of young people is affected for eternity. And without being too graphic, I just appeal to you parents, as God has appealed to my heart and to the heart of my husband, that we guard their associations with such care, such effort, such commitment that we do not allow those opportunities for the devil to find access to our young people. Guard their association. Instead of just giving them free association with whoever's in the church or whoever lives next door or whoever they go to school with, we become their friend and their associates. 
If they want to have their friend come over, then we are participating in our, with our young people in what they do together. Rather than just say, oh, you can come over and away they go into the bedroom to play and you have an idea of what they're playing, but you know the devil has a way to get in there and change the whole focus of what is happening there. And we are far too um, blind and lax as parents. God wants us to become friend and associate with our children and work with deepening our level of communication. Our daughter Allison was just away to school this first half of this year, and she would call and tell us on the phone about different experiences she was having in school. And the, the, the communication between us was so deep and so free and so complete And we talked about some of the associations and some of the things she was seeing or learning from the new environment. And we were able to talk about it and communicate about it in such a way that it kept the purity of the character of Christ elevated and it set aside the immorality and the impurity of society. Become their associate and their friend. The fourth way we can do it is to make our homes clean, attractive, and appealing to our young people. Many young people are driven from their homes because they just don't like the environment that it's in. When I was a little girl, my mother was the first time I can remember my mother ever going out of the home to work. I was in kindergarten. My brothers went to school, and I only had a half a day of school. So when I got done with school, after that half a day, I went across the street to another person's home. It was a Christian person, someone from the church that my parents thought they knew very well. And I can remember, and I must have only been five years old, I can remember going into that home, and it was so dirty, and it was so smelly, and it was so filthy that I didn't even want to be in there. We, it was in Nebraska, and this was winter time. Some of you are from Nebraska, so you know, especially going back 40 years, what winters used to be like there. Much, very harsh. I can remember sitting outside with my snow clothes on because I didn't want to be in the house. And the environment affects how a child will feel comfortable in that environment. Now, what if they would have had a next-door neighbor and I would have been drawn over? Fortunately, they were more in a country setting. But what if they would have had a next-door neighbor and I would have found an associate there and wanted to be in their house because it was clean and inviting and found out that I was just going from one bad situation into another? So make our homes clean, attractive, and happy. Make the environment in the home happy and inviting and cheerful like you feel when you hear the birds singing in the morning. Make your home like that, and Christ can help us do that if we're willing to cooperate with Him. And we'll find that our children love to be in our homes, and they won't want to venture out so quickly. The fifth way I found very helpful to um, cultivating purity is not allowing our children to lie in bed with nothing to do. Many parents use time out, sent to the room, door closed, or go lay down on your bed as a form of correction, and all they're doing is really giving the devil access to the mind of their child in a way that they may not be understanding. If your child is awake, then have them 
come out and and help in the home and do useful occupations rather than them let, letting them lay on their bed and daydream or play or whatever else can and does happen. When they're awake, they're up. We don't let our children just lay around with nothing to do because we're, we're, all, we're, we're making opportunity for the devil to come in. And if you feel like your child needs the rest, then give them enough physical occupation through recreation and useful occupation that when they go to bed or when they go for a nap, that they're tired enough to go to sleep. And then you will find they get the true sweet rest and the devil doesn't have access to the mind to introduce impure and daydreaming thoughts. So... That brings me to number six, wholesome occupation and recreation, physical work. If your child is struggling with impure, impure habits, the more physically that they can be uh, involved, the more work they can do, the more physical exercise they have will be the better way to help curtail that wrong behavior. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.